Hi friends, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter five. If you aren't in a place where you have access to a traditional Bible, you can also take your digital device and you can open up the version, or it's also called the Bible app and all the notes and scriptures, those have already been uploaded. Wherever you're watching us from, I love you so much. Thank you for being a part of our family, for being a part of what God's doing here at Life Church. Happy Easter. Man, I love Easter. Not, I love all the stuff, the candy and the egg hunts, the going to church and the getting dressed up. And of course, it looks different this year. It looks different in our current context, but we still did it, still did all that stuff. And for obvious reasons, it was more challenging this year. It took more planning, but we still did it. I, I, I put on the suit and I put on the tie. We still did the egg hunt with our kids. We still gave them the candy, the cards, and the gifts. I mean, I had to order the empty eggs from Amazon and have them delivered. I, I had to have the candy delivered via the shipped app, which meant that I needed to let it sit out on my doorstep for a couple of days before I brought it in. And it had to be ordered a couple of weeks ago. It took a lot more planning, but because I love all that stuff, I didn't want to stop just because we were limited by shelter in place. And so because I love Easter so much, I actually wanna do something that's maybe a little bit crazy today. I actually wanna do a makeshift Easter egg hunt with you. And so earlier this week, I took a number and I wrote it down on a sticky note and I have it set on my desk. It's between one and 100. And so if you will text the word egg hunt, all one word to the number 97,000, you're gonna get an auto reply, then text back your guess, and if you guess the right number, I'm gonna ship you my favorite Easter treat. Just make sure you leave it out on your doorstep for a couple of days before you bring it in. But anyway, I just thought, why do we make Easter sometimes so stuffy, and why do we wanna change that just because we're limited by where we can be this year? And so I thought that would just be uh, kind of fun. I hope you like that. Anyway, today I wanna wrap up this Jesus said series that we've been in with a message that we're calling let there be light we pray with me God we love you we honor you we're grateful to you God as always you know we say this is the day that you have made so we will rejoice and be glad in it but today God on the day of days the most holy of days for us God we give you honor we give you thanks God, we pray today that you would whittle away at who we are and make us more like you. God, change us, make us, mold us, shape us, form us into whoever it is you want us to be. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start today by actually asking you two questions. Who are you and why are you here? Who are you and why are you here? Really? not the answers you've conditioned yourself to give, not the answers you think you should give or you think the answers we wanna hear. Uh, I'm talking about the real answers. Who are you and why are you here? Those are pretty difficult questions for us to answer, aren't they? But they're the two questions that your entire life is built upon. And incidentally, they're the two questions the entire Bible spends answering. Getting those questions right will make your life heaven on earth. But on the flip side, getting those two questions wrong can make your life hell on earth. Who are you and why are you here? For every one of us, people have been trying to answer those questions for us our entire lives. Parents and teachers, friends and foes, 
Culture and media have all been trying to answer those questions for us since we were born. Fortunately, though, God's been answering those questions for us since before we were born. The book of Galatians says, before you were even born, God chose you and he called you. The book of Ephesians says, you are God's masterpiece, created to do good things God planned before you were even here. The 139th Psalm says, God knows all about you. He knows when you're resting and working and even thinking. He notices everything you do and everywhere you go before you even speak. He knows what you're going to say. He put you together in your mother's womb and everything he does is marvelous. You are marvelous. Isn't that great? Who are you and why are you here? You're all here for a reason. And for most of you, it's not for the reason you think. You're here to learn how to be a better husband or wife, to learn how to be a better parent or child, boss or employee, neighbor or friend, to learn how to manage your money or your influence better. What you're not here to do is learn how to go to heaven or not how to go to hell. That's not what church is designed for. If church was only designed to teach people how to go to heaven or how not to go to hell, what would we even need each other for? The whole heaven and hell thing is such low-hanging fruit. The Bible is so robust. It's full of such richness that it does it a disservice to make it like the evacuation plan we all ignore when we're waiting for our flight to take off. You know, I wonder, why do we talk so much about faith in Jesus, but seldom talk about the faith of Jesus? When we read about the life of Jesus, we find even though he taught all the time, he seldom talked about the next life. He did, however, talk a lot about how to live this life because this life is an investment into your next life. So Jesus lived his entire life teaching about how to live this life, knowing that showing you how to live this life has a direct return on where you'll live your next life. And so this Galilean rabbi, Yeshua, this Jesus of Nazareth, he lived his life in a way that was so attractive, was so in line with the scriptures that thousands of people were enthralled with him, captured by him. You know, in the Jewish culture, the most important role of a rabbi was to demonstrate the word. They were told to be basora lebasar, the good word in the flesh. And no one did that better than Rabbi Jesus. We talked about a scripture a few weeks ago that said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, what drew people to Jesus wasn't that they thought he was the way to heaven. They already thought they knew how to get to heaven. That was through their animal sacrifices. They were drawn to Jesus because of two things. His masterful teaching of the scriptures and his masterful display of Basora la Basar. How he took the word and made it come alive. And he made it come alive with his words and with his life. How he made it accessible and how he made it work for their everyday lives. Remember, these people were no different than us. They had bills and relationships, kids to raise and feed, conflicts and concerns. And they were just as confused by scripture and how to implement it into their daily lives as you and I are today. And so Jesus took these really difficult ideas, these really difficult concepts, and he made them easily digestible. As a friend of mine once told me, he put the cookies on the bottom shelf. He spent most of his time telling people who they were and why they were there. And he did that by teaching them how to love people and how to serve people. 
how to be good parents and siblings, employees and neighbors. He was drawing up, he was describing, he was designing this dream that we could and should all become basora le basar, the good word in the flesh. It's God's dream for us all. And it's been his dream since before man was even here. In the book of Genesis, during the design process, God said, let us make man in our image. And the Hebrew word here is salem. It's a cultural idea. And later on, the world would be crowded with, covered with salem, images of God's lower G. As a matter of fact, here's one right here. This is the temple of Abu Simbel. This is the salem of Ramses II, an image to show how big and how powerful he was. Now look, look at those tiny statues next to his legs. You probably have to squint to really see him. Those little tiny statues next to his legs, those are of his wife. That's a marriage message if I've ever heard one in my life. Anyway, this massive temple was carved from the side of a mountain and it was to serve as a monument to commemorate Ramses II's Battle of Kadesh. It's a battle that history now tells us Ramses actually lost. And isn't it interesting how we'll often build monuments to moments in our lives hoping that people will think they were victories when we know they were actually defeats? This is the culture that Jewish people were delivered from. So in Exodus, God wrote the most important rules. And he started those rules by saying, you shall have no other salem before me and you shall, shall not make for yourself a salem in the form of anything. Why? Not because he's small or insecure, but because he already had a salem. You, you are the salem. You are the image of God. It was his dream before we were even here so that anyone you meet, they should get a glimpse of what God is like because he is like you if you are the basora la basar, the good word in the flesh. And so with that in mind, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Then St. Peter echoes that idea when he says, live such good lives among unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God. God's dream for your life is for you to become Jesus with skin on, to become his salam, his image, for you to be able to become the basora la basar, the, the, the good word in the flesh. That's how you fulfill God's dream for your life. But, but how do we do those things practically? How do, how do we live that out? Well, let, let me send you today with four ways. Four ways to let your light shine before men. Here's the first way. Don't see how everyone else sees. Where everyone else sees lost causes, people who shine their light before men, they see lost people. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. He said that he came to seek and save the lost. Don't see how everyone else sees. Here's the second way, don't hear how everyone else hears. Where everyone else takes it personal that someone is being hurtful, People who shine their light before men, they take it personal that those people are hurting. And so they look to bring hope and they look to bring healing because St. Paul said, those of us who are strong, we have an obligation to bear with the failings of those who are weak. 
Here's a third way. Don't believe how everyone else believes. All the religious teachers in Jesus' day said, this is the order of your obedience. You should love God, you should obey the Sabbath, you should honor the temple, you should stay pure, and you should love your enemy, which is why they could treat people poorly in the name of the church, because to them, the temple or the church was more important than the people. But then Jesus came along and he said, no, this is the order. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. And he wasn't saying love them the way you love yourself because they were just as insecure as you and I are. He was saying love those people because they're just like you. You're just like them, the only difference between you and them is that, that you've just put a different angle on your failure than you've put on their failure. What he was saying was cut them some slack. Cut them the same slack that you want other people to cut to you because people who shine their light before men, they realize that policies, positions, and politics aren't as important as people. Here's the fourth way. Don't do what everyone else does. When everyone else is looking out for themselves, people who shine their light before men, they're looking out for everyone else. They'll do what other people won't do, like leave heaven so you can be born in a manger, live a sinless life, but die a sinner's death where you're betrayed with a kiss by one of your closest friends, found guilty of crimes you didn't commit, are tied to a post and whipped until you can no longer stand and all the skin has been torn from your back, where you're beaten with reeds, fitted with the crown of six-inch thorns, where you're screamed at and slandered, slapped and spit upon, have your hair and your beard ripped from their roots before you are nailed to a rugged cross with rusty spikes and hang there for six hours before you finally suffocate on your own blood and bile. And you do that because the greatest way to show your love to you friends is to die for them. But who are his friends? He tells us in the next verse, you are if you do what he commands. You are if you'll let your light shine before men. You are if you'll become Basora Labasar. You are if you'll become his Salem, the image of God. Is that you? If it's not, it can be today because the grave could not hold him. He is alive. He has risen to let there be. Would you pray with me this morning? I wonder if you're watching this broadcast on this Easter Sunday and you heard something that clicked, something that connected, something that resounded, something that resonated with your heart that made you realize you're not where you should be or who you should be. You're not connected to Christ. You're, you're not molded to your Messiah. You have never surrendered your life to your Savior in this morning, of all mornings, we would be remiss to not give you opportunity to respond in such a way. Scripture says that if you confess that you're a sinner, believe in your heart that Jesus can save you, you will be saved. And so this morning, we're gonna give you opportunity to do two things. I'm gonna give you opportunity to confess 
and profess, to confess that you are a sinner and to profess that you are Lord. And you can do both of those things by repeating a simple prayer after me. And so if you're watching this and you say, Sean, I'm a sinner, I need to be saved, and I wanna surrender my life to my Savior Jesus, would you repeat these words after me? Would you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? Would you please change me? Would you come into my life, make me different, make me new? I believe you can save me. So would you do that? Would you be my savior? In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer and you believed it in your heart, you are saved. Welcome to the family of God. And if you do us just one favor, if you would just click that button on your screen that says that you're choosing to raise your hand, we would love the opportunity to connect with you. We would love the opportunity to follow, follow up with you. So if you would just message us and say that you chose to follow Jesus today, we would love the opportunity to help you progress on your Jesus journey. But I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes one more time this morning because I'm not done here. If you would say, Sean, I'm here and I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl, but I really haven't been the Salem. I have not properly displayed myself as the image of God. I want the opportunity to pray with you too. And so Father, today for my friends who are on the other side of this screen, God, who maybe they're disappointed in their delivery. They're disappointed in how they've displayed their reflection of you, God. I pray for peace. God, I pray for comfort. I pray for motivation that we will be changed and we would reflect you better. Help us be your salam. Help us be the image of God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.